Dylan Kay is with us today. Uh, Dylan is a senior associate at the venture capital firm based in Austin, Texas. Uh, Dylan, welcome to Series A. Uh, why don't we begin right away? Uh, you explain to us uh, what it is that you do at your uh, company and how do you help entrepreneurs uh, grow their business? Well, thanks for the intro, George. Really excited to be here. Um, a little bit about our firm. We are early stage investors in technology, broadly speaking. We look at seed Series A and Series B's companies kind of broadly speaking across the technology sector. So we have an underlying emphasis of emerging technology and how that applies to software, FinTech, mobility, but we're really industry agnostic in that regard. Um, so we're very opportunistic investors and are able to target a variety of stages of companies. And really how we look to grow them is through our deep bench of operating executives. We have over 200 mentors who have a variety of different domain expertises, um, and we like to pair them with our portfolio companies and ultimately introduce them to their next top tier investors. So, so you are industry agnostic. Yep, exactly. Okay. So uh, give us an example without saying names of, uh, I mean, uh, what kind of investments do your uh, investors make in the startups that you introduce them to you, to them? Yeah, so we're, we're really opportunistic at heart. So we don't have any criteria of a thesis in a particular industry, but we do have a focus of understanding technology and understanding how that relates to different sub-industries within that. So we like emerging technology, broadly speaking. So we look at a lot of AI, deep tech, uh, VR and AR businesses in really understanding how they sort of fit into these different sub-buckets of fintech software, um, you know, how they influence enterprises and ultimately how do they influence people. Um, so we don't look specifically at, you know, kind of checking a box on a, you know, a specific investment criteria. We're more founder focused. We like to invest in people um, and ultimately grow our relationships and our network in that respect. And uh, what kind of investments are we talking about in terms of uh, um, how much money do you put in the companies? Yes. Yeah, so it's really dependent on the stage of the business, but typically we tilt towards series A and series B investments. That's kind of our new um, tilt moving forward. Um, previously, we had more experience working in the earlier stages, but we're, we're recently sh shifting our focus on that. Um, we have a very unique focus. We are not lead investors. We write check sizes up to $250,000 um, and we do not lead rounds. So we like to follow on um, with smaller check sizes, but ultimately follow on through our relationships with institutional investors and ultimately tag along the fundraising process alongside them. So before you write the check, uh, you do some kind of due diligence with the founders. Yeah, so we think about that a bit uniquely from most firms. So we first and foremost are people evaluators. You know, we invest in people that we know, people a part of our network, and people that we've been able to interact with for a longish period of time. And we're able to do that through kind of helping people and entrepreneurs through, you know, 
evaluating their ideas at you know a pre-seed stage and ultimately kind of following along this journey with them as a founder. So the due diligence process is not doing you know market maps and understanding uh, specific natures of an industry. That's not you know 100% of what we do. That's maybe a smaller component, but for, first and foremost, especially what we're seeing in you know earlier stage side of investing is who are the people running the business? That's that's really the most critical aspect that we're evaluating. And do you operate also outside of Austin? So we do. So COVID, you know, obviously kind of removed borders from our traditional geography lines, right? So we are investing in the heart of Texas. Texas is the ninth largest country in the world, if you had to map it in terms of GDP. However, it's only has 4% of venture capital dollars. So we believe that the biggest investment opportunity is investing in Texas. So that was the, the, the genesis of what our firm was founded on. Um, so while we love Texas, we are opportunistic investors, like I mentioned, and we are open to startups anywhere. Um, but we have a preference for people who are in Texas or are moving to Texas. And from what I hear, Austin is becoming a real hub for tech startups. Uh, especially now uh, in the pandemic. Is that true or is it just rumors? Absolutely. You know, we are seeing a lot of major cities, um, specifically in New York, California, where if you look at the economics of how businesses are run and operated, it's very difficult for founders to operate with given the local government environment. You know, we're seeing a huge migration and influx of talent to Texas, um, really due to, you know, kind of the hands-off nature of the government, but also access to talent. You know, we have so many university hubs um, within the city, and pretty much every day when you open the newspaper, you know, the next largest corporation is moving to Texas. Um, so we're, in my opinion, you know, we're still in the very early stages of this transformation, and people like Elon Musk are really going to be the, the voices of reason behind this whole movement. Uh, what do you think about uh, cryptocurrency startups? Yeah, so I think crypto is in a very unique space right now. If you saw, you know, Jerome Powell, uh, today is February 25th. Yesterday, he was talking about, you know, developing a digital dollar. Um, and that's kind of at the, at the you know, top of mind in the Federal Reserve. So I think it's really interesting in the sense of how do you digitize a currency? Um, I think there's likely a lot of fat in the space, but I think the underlying technology of, you know, separating blockchain and crypt crypto is a clear distinction to make. And I think if you look at more on the blockchain side of things, I think that's where the true innovation is. But uh, have you come across to any uh, cryptocurrency startups uh, seeking to collaborate with, with you recently? Yes, yeah, so I would say that we look more towards the the pipes of the blockchain ecosystem as opposed to you know single cryptocurrencies in that respect. So I think broadly speaking that the use case of blockchain is far superior than any one token. So I think any potential investors should be looking at blockchain as a platform for connecting ecosystems. And I think that's where the real underlying use case lies. Okay, so in terms of uh, how you operate, do you uh, operate like a regular venture capital fund? Uh, do you have limited partners and so on? 
Yeah, we have a very diverse limited partner base um, coming from institutions, angel investors, um, a handful of endowments. Um, so really a diverse LP pipeline. And we're actually in the process of continuing to find new and emerging investors to bring in. Um, and we recently launched a rolling fund, which is a pretty new and unique um, area in VC fundraising. Um, so we've actually launched our fund eight um, via an angelist rolling fund. And that's, that's a new part of the market that we're seeing that we're really excited about. So explain to our audience, if you may, how a rolling fund uh, operates. Yeah, so what we have found is the timing commitments of deploying capital, right? It, it, with traditional VC funds, when they make a raise, they allocate capital, but the, the timing constraints are very apparent throughout that process. We have a very strong deal pipeline. And in terms of the timing of writing checks, we found that consistent fundraising every month with capital flowing in from LPs, that was one of the critical aspects of the timing element where we were getting access to more deals and higher quality deals. And the rolling fund just really made sense for us. And how many projects are you currently involved with? Far too many to fit on my calendar. So we typically target 10 to 20 investments per quarter. So because we are not lead institutional investors and we are follow-on investors, we're able to be more active in the pipeline and interacting with entrepreneurs. So we're the most active early stage investor in Texas since 2010. And you know, that's, that's kind of first and foremost of you know, what our overall mandate is. And we like to make a lot of investments and ultimately grow our, our pipeline of uh, relationships. And do you find time to uh, go in uh, the boards of all these projects and uh, uh, actually uh, help the entrepreneurs uh, one, on a one-to-one basis? Yeah, and I think that that's a clear distinction in the VC community right now is taking board seats. We do not take board seats. Um, we want entrepreneurs to be entrepreneurs and give them a full runway to operate how they see fit. And we do not take board seats, as I mentioned, but we want to give entrepreneurs you know, a deep pipeline of mentors to help them work through their products, iterate, validate their market. But we don't take board seats, but we want to give them the tools to operate. So we're very flexible in that respect. And uh, do you require any kind of reporting after you put money into the company? Do you any reports uh, uh, on a regular basis from the entrepreneurs? Back to you. Yeah, we meet with our founders twice a year. Um, we meet with overall business traction, revenue projections, um, and really understanding their, their recent traction. Um, but we don't do that on a monthly basis. You know, we meet two times a year and, you know, we're committed for life. You know, that's kind of our focus as opposed to other VC funds. You know, we're not inpatient capital where we are looking to, you know, exit next quarter. We understand that there's a time horizon with everything and we want to be a part of that founder journey. So twice a month, you actually- Twice a year. Twice a year, you actually meet. But uh, what if they have a problem in a six month period? Or what if the company goes belly up? So we have the formal meetings twice a year with um, reviewing investments, kind of reviewing the, the, the themes on the horizon. 
However, we meet with founders on a daily basis. So we have our formal LP review twice a year. However, we're meeting our portfolio companies every day. Um, you know, my calendar is, is pretty, pretty full of helping entrepreneurs think about how they're operating their business, whether that's their new and existing fundraising, whether that's finding new talent, and whether that's just scaling their company. Um, so we're, we're very involved in that regard um, and being a part of that founder journey. And do the entrepreneurs of your uh, portfolio share ideas with each other? Yeah, there's a lot of cross collaboration within our portfolio. We have a, a very active Slack channel that we have within our firm and we're constantly having our founders meet other founders. And I think that that's where the true uh, entrepreneurial spirit lies um, with founders meeting other founders and ultimately meeting and growing their own networks. Uh, Dylan, describe to our audience, if you may, a typical day at the office. Well, that's a bit hard because we are not in the office currently. So my typical day in the office is in my living room. Um, but that really starts out with, you know, looking at emails overnight, um, being responsive to founders and incoming emails, um, networking with other venture capitalists, um, attending the various conferences and really growing my own personal network. Um, and then ultimately the big part of the day is finding more entrepreneurs. You know, we want to find every innovative business there is, and we want to be a part of that. So I think the, the hard part about it is, is how do you, how do you find companies and make sure that you don't leave any stone unturned? And I think that's one of the biggest things that we think about. And do you have a lot of incoming deal flow? Yeah, well, being the, being the most active early stage investor in Texas, there's certainly, certainly a lot of deal flow coming our way. And we're very lucky to have that. Um, so we're very busy in terms of our pipeline. Um, and that's, that's really uh, a byproduct of you know, our exposure in the industry, whether that's through other startups and you know, mentors, and it's also through our other institutional investors. So we have a very active uh, triangle of uh, community and we, we take pride in that. And that's mostly within Texas, I suppose. So we have relationships with people all over the country and even outside of the country. You know, we are, we are the, the voice of Texas, but we are also, you know, the voices outside of Texas. So we are not limited to Texas. You know, we have lots of relationships with, you know, Silicon Valley, New York, um, and the major tech hubs uh, across the U.S. But everybody looks to us for the answers in Texas. And that's and what our core competency is. And it's been a pretty, pretty interesting ride this year to say the least. How do you determine the valuation of a startup that uh, pitches you and you decide to invest in? I think startup valuation is one of the most in misunderstood parts of the industry. And I see a lot of valuation projections on pitch decks, but I think the real valuation lines to the current market value and it's understanding who creates that market value. If I'm a startup raising capital, valuations are arbitrary, but it's the valuation is who is willing to pay and at what price. So I think in terms of valuation, it's more of who are the people putting capital up to, to work. That's where the, that's where the market valuation is. Mm -hmm. So what does an entrepreneur need to tell you to convince you 
uh, what does uh, she has to show you in terms of the metrics for, for their startup uh, to convince you to invest in them? Yeah, well, I think first and foremost, we are building relationships with people. We want to see leadership, whether that's through military, whether that's through education. Some sort of leadership is a, is a strong filter that I personally like to look for. Um, and I also like to evaluate ethics and character. Um, that's really the, the genesis of what I look to when evaluating a founder. Um, and then obviously, you know, you can get down to, you know, company specific and market specific. Is it a really good product, but a really bad market? Or is it a really great founder, but a really bad market? And I think it's really understanding the difference between signal versus noise. You know, just because something is a really good idea, it doesn't always mean that it's a great investment opportunity. Do they need to have significant traction before they come to you? Yeah, that's dependent on the, on the type of firm evaluating it. We are tilting more towards the later stage um, with a focus on seed series A and series B. So early stage really means something different depending on whoever you ask. Um, but in terms of our focus, we like traction. We like post-revenue. So we don't like you know, ideas that are not in market yet. Um, and we are combining this with our relationships with founders. You know, it's very easy to get nitty gritty on you know, market fit and product fit, but most importantly, what we have found is we want people fit. And uh, what is your investment horizon in a startup? How, how long do you stay in? Yeah, we, we target three to five years. Um, that's why we like to target startups that have fundraising plans on the horizon. And one of our ways that we help our startups is access to our institutional investors and our relationships that we have. So as we are, you know, follow on minority investors, we're able to be a part of that fundraising process. And I think that's been one of the, the key areas of what's, what's led to our success. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's go through your selection process. Uh, say you receive um, 100 pitches in a month. Uh, how do they end up? Yeah, well, that's a great question. You know, it's consistently meeting with founders, understanding their story as an entrepreneur, understanding who is working with them. You know, it's it's very difficult for one person to to make a company work, as we all have learned. Um, so I want to get a story of you know who they are and where they come from, but also who's working alongside them. And in terms of you know evaluating the merits of an idea there really is no one size fits all answer because we don't have a specific industry mandate. However, we look at emerging technology, broadly speaking. So when identifying you know, a compelling market opportunity, it's really pulling in our subject matter experts that we have on our operating side and you know, having them being involved in the pitches, you know, whether it's an emerging tech startup in medical devices, you know, pulling um, our, our medical um, device domain experts um, from our mentor side is really a really important toolkit that we have um, through our screening process. And then from there, you know, once I get to know a founder, I can start to ask more about the market, um, product fit, um, and understanding really the traction that's gone and happened so far, and really ultimately, you know, understanding the why now. I think one of the clear distinctions in terms of VC is a, an idea can be really great, but the most important question to ask is timing. 
you know, if you look five years ago, looking at an electric vehicle startup, it was a great idea, but not necessarily the best time. However, if you look now, you know, the market's more mature with positive regulations, um, government incentives, and a market that's showing demand for it. And I think that understanding and piecing together the why of who the founder is and understanding the overall market timing aspect is probably the most critical question that we're asking. Yes, of course. Uh, Dylan, what was your personal path to venture? Uh, how long are you doing what you are doing and what were you doing before that? Well, that's a great question. Uh, as you know, everybody who ends up in VC didn't really plan so, but I'm, I, I almost consider myself an outlier because I, I knew I always wanted to be in VC, but I kind of had an untraditional path to get there. Um, I went to my undergrad in, the, in school in the Northeast, um, had a variety of positions ranging from you know corporate venture capital in a moonshot lab uh, to end up, ending up working at a startup um, that got eventually acquired. Um, and I had a brief, brief time in markets. Um, you know, I kind of had a very diverse background and I you know, met my former colleague at a past firm and, you know, luckily through building a network and relationship, um, I was able to, to join, join my current firm. Excellent. Let's go back to the LPs. You, you mentioned that you work, uh, with angels and, uh, I didn't hear anything about family offices. Do you collaborate with family offices? Yeah, ab- absolutely. There, there, we definitely have a few family offices that are part of our LP base. You know, there, there is, we're thinking about how we can diversify our LP base. So pretty much anybody that fits an LP profile is likely to be involved in our fund. Um, so we, we are not focused on any one particular pipeline, you know, we want to meet people and have people take part of our fund from no matter where they are. And do you use online tools, uh, for example, PitchBook, Crunchbase, in order to approach potential uh, limited partners? Yeah, well, we're, we're in a pretty good position where we have a lot of existing relationships. You know, I know that's kind of been the focal point of this conversation, but we are we are a people focused firm and we have existing relationships with limited partners. And the conversation is usually through, you know, warm introductions and, and friends of friend. And uh, as we know in the VC community, word tends to get around. So we're, we're pretty, we're pretty involved with, you know, interacting with LPs. And we've also found some of the new tools, um, especially on, you know, online fundraising and, you know, rolling funds to be an interesting kind of sub um, sub way to add to the, to the fundraising pipeline. And do you operate with the usual uh, two and twenty rule? Uh, two being yes, the management. Do. Yes, that's pretty typical uh, around there, isn't it? Yes, it is. Okay. Uh, how about uh, angels? Uh, you said you work a lot with angels. How do they usually uh, get involved uh, in an investment with you? Yeah. Well, we. If you look at our list of operating executives and our mentors um, who interact with our portfolio companies, what we really found is a lot of our mentors also happen to be angel investors. So what's really unique about this side of it is the angel investors are already inside of our doors interacting with portfolio companies. 
So if they're, you know, having an office hours with a startup of really kind of understanding, you know, what areas of the business they need help in, you know, not only, you know, have we seen a lot of mentors being hired by the startup, but we've also seen a lot of mentors actually write checks for the startups that they do advise. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Uh, is there anything else you would like to cover with us, with our audience uh, about venture capital in general? No, that was it. This was a great conversation. I think, I think there's a really interesting theme that we're seeing um, kind of over this ne- next decade. And I'll, I'll kind of leave this to the, to the listeners to think about. Um, if, we, if we kind of compare private equity um, institutional allocation versus venture capital, VC is a very tiny amount of you know, total institutional dollars. And I think as deals become more expensive in later stages, I think we're seeing a huge shift down in to VC, particularly growth equity and you know, series A investing. And I think that this is gonna be a very interesting opportunity in terms of returns for LPs over the next decade. Um, I would also consider, you know, shifting even more down to seed stage investing to be a very particular uh, theme because we're seeing such large, you know, valuations in, you know, Series C and beyond startups. And I think we're going to be seeing a, a convergence in the, you know, growth equity and VC side uh, over the coming decade. Yeah, they used to say that uh, the series, the seed series now. Uh, used to be series a before uh is that true yes it is valuations are constantly increasing you're absolutely right all right dylan thank you very much for sharing your insights with our audience and uh, we'll speak again later george appreciate it thank you for having me